0: Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations Podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. Last week, I was up in Canada for the Toronto ACG Capital Connection, where I had the chance to sit down with two technology investors. For the first interview in this episode, I spoke with Scotty Wardell, Managing Partner and Co-Founder of Integrity Growth Partners, a growth equity firm based outside of Los Angeles that invests in software and tech-enabled services businesses. During our conversation, Scotty spoke about the role of data analytics in value creation and how her firm leverages data during sourcing and due diligence. My second guest in this week's episode is Lisa Melchior, founder and managing partner of Virtu Capital, a growth-stage private equity investor in Canadian technology businesses. During our conversation, Lisa explained why venture-stage tech companies have had an easier time attracting capital than their more mature counterparts and the role that firms like Virtue play in helping an entrepreneur-led business get to the next level. In a couple of weeks, we'll be releasing another podcast episode recorded in Toronto, featuring the chief investment officer of a Toronto-based family office, so check back for that. And now, here are my conversations with Scotty and Lisa. Scotty is up first. I am here with Scotty Wardell, Scotty, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Can you describe integrity growth partners when you co-founded the firm and, and the types of investments that you look for? Sure. So we are almost exactly
1: a year old. We just had our, our one year birthday last week. Um, and we are a growth equity firm, team of six based outside of Los Angeles. Uh, and our focus is growing software and tech enabled services businesses where, you know, we can identify them, you know, at a specific tipping point and come in and give them capital to help them get to their next phase of growth. So, you know, typically anywhere in kind of North America other than, you know, we really don't do much in San Francisco.
0: New York. Okay. And later today, you're going to be speaking on a panel focused on data analytics and value creation. There has obviously been a growing focus on data, and it's something that companies and investors are paying a lot of attention to. So, I wondered if you can describe what your experience has been with using data analytics to drive value creation.
1: Sure. So, I've used it in a bunch of different areas. So, you know, where I really started to get my initial interest was when, you know, from a, a thematic perspective, we were starting to look at businesses in the quote big data space, which now I feel like isn't as used as much in the common vernacular. Now we've moved on to machine learning, AI, natural language processing, all of that. You know, the the current verbiage of the moment, although it means a little bit of the same thing uh, when you're looking at the details. But, you know, it started there where we were looking at a lot of companies and seeing what incredible value they could use just by the pure processing power and sort of logic replication um, into code to help businesses think about problems in a more data-driven fashion. So it started when I was really looking at some businesses in that space and some investments that we made in that area. Uh, And then where that evolved is I actually left the finance side for a few years to get some operating experience. And one of those roles, I was in a data science and strategy role uh, where I was actually learning to build, you know, data science logic to write workflows myself and to actually perform big data analytics directly for the first time. And that was where I really started to understand because I got the nuts and bolts and could build it myself, how broadly applicable it was, you know, both for any operating company, but both in finance as well. And then where that's played today is, you know, as my partner and I started our firm, It was a key area that we saw not only that we could help to enhance our um, sourcing opportunities and the way in which we source deals and segment our efforts with respect to sourcing. That involves a lot of data science and automation there. Uh, it also plays into how we're able to diligence our companies, and obviously the insights from that diligence help us to drive value at the companies as well and inform their data strategies. Uh, and then, lastly, I'm currently actually serving as the interim head of strategy for a great company called Algo. Um, that's an advanced, you know, automation uh, and supply chain optimization business based outside of Detroit, and so I work very closely mm-hmm. with them. And obviously, that is really the bread and butter of their software is to you know work with a lot of large enterprises to optimize. Um, really how they're operating their day-to-day supply chain to make better decisions to drive both revenue and cost. So that is, you know, part of my
0: day-to-day job as well that involves analytics. Mm-hmm. so are you looking for companies who maybe that's an area where they can grow where they have the opportunity to collect data they're maybe not fully leveraging that yet and that's something you can come in and, and help them take more advantage of sometimes yeah so yeah. i would say i
1: mean at this point given you know that almost every company at this point is sort of a tech enabled business if it's not directly a software business so there's a proliferation of data and I, I won't rattle off all of the stats but you know you can guess with any business you're walking into whether it is a google or McDonald's you know there is a ton of data now that these companies have access to in a way that they never did before, um, and so they all want to figure out what to do with it, and that can go for big companies, small companies. So certainly, we can come in and, and support that, and I think that is a unique value add that we can have. Hmm. But even more so for us, it's about being a tech-enabled firm ourselves. So being, you know, a private equity firm
0: that runs a lot more like a software company than like our private equity peers. Hmm. Okay. And is there an example you can share where you know you helped a company improve its data analytics, and that led to better business outcomes?
1: Sure. So, you know, there was a company that um, we were looking at that was in, you know, more of the, it was a, a consumer tech enabled services business that was in the kind of experiential travel space. Mm-hmm. Um, and so one of the, you know, conversations we were having with them is they were looking to optimize their data, you know, they didn't have a systematic way. If you think about all of the customer service reviews that come in you're going to get tens of thousands maybe millions depending on your volume of these individual hand you know not handwritten but typed up surveys where you've got you know some verbatim review i really liked this tour guide but i really didn't like that we didn't get lunch you know something like that Systematically analyzing, you know, tens of thousands, if not millions, of that type of data would be really difficult systematically, right? If you think about just going through it in Excel or somebody reading them manually to pull out patterns, uh, what we were able to do was to show them how you can actually systematically analyze verbatim data, how you take out you know, stop words. I'm, I won't use <laughs> too much jargon, but how you're able to actually garner insights from call it, you know, I think this particular analysis it was kind of fifty thousand plus reviews. Huh. How you can translate that, you know, systematically and quickly into an insight so you can see what's Driving the really positive experiences and what's driving the more negative experiences, and how that can inform your business decision making um, as a next step. And so that was something that they hadn't been able to take advantage of before. Mm. Um, and so that's just one kind of quick and simple example where, you know, if you're just limited to, you know, a million rows in Excel and kind of reading things with manual effort, you're not going to be able to pull out those
0: insights systematically like you could with you know, big data or advanced analytics knowledge. Sure. It also seems like more private equity investors themselves are leveraging big data and analytics as part of their evaluation process to try to better assess a business and decide whether they want to invest. Is that something that you guys do, and can you talk about what that looks like? Yeah, it is. So so we
1: really use it in every phase of our business cycle. So it powers a lot of our sourcing efforts, whether it's really you know, segmenting which businesses we want to pay the most attention to through scoring them or uh, leveraging it through geospatial targeting to make sure our travel is optimized. So it, it touches in a bunch of different ways our sourcing um, mechanism. And then once we're looking at a business, again... If you think about the fact that pretty much every business today has so much data if you're limited to a million rows in excel you really can't analyze at the level of depth you would want to for most businesses that are out there today and so having an advanced analytics capability where you actually can work with big data meaning you know outside of the capacity of of an excel usually for financial professionals so We can get to a much deeper level of diligence, which helps both to inform, you know, kind of the trust but verify. Certainly, we can verify data at a much deeper level versus on relying on aggregation from the company. Um, It also helps us to identify insights that, again, they might not even be aware of to help inform some of the value creation strategy, and that's sort of the third piece where. Once the business is in the portfolio, we can turn some of our proprietary algorithms on to help their businesses operate, You know whether it's for mm. targeting customers or other optimization efforts that they would have, um, in addition to leveraging some of the information and insight that comes out of our more detailed analytical diligence to help identify what they should be improving once they're in the portfolio. So we can really use it throughout the entire lifecycle of the business, in addition to obviously helping them to inform you know their data strategy as well.
0: And who are you typically competing against for tech deals? Is it other private equity firms or are you usually going up against strategic buyers? What does the competitive landscape look like?
1: Yeah, good question. So we do growth equity. So most of the time it's going to be a non-control investment. Um, We also focus specifically more on bootstrapped entrepreneurs. So with our businesses... A big competition, you know, factor is just is that CEO ready to raise capital as the founder? Do they feel like they're at a tipping point such that, you know, bringing in our capital is going to grow the pie big enough that it's worth them taking a little bit of dilution? So Mm -hmm. a big part of it is just, you know, patiently waiting and sort of methodically developing these relationships over time such that, you know, you can, you can be sort of the partner of choice when they do get ready to raise capital. So sometimes our, our competitive dynamic is just patience. Um, once we are in an active deal process, sometimes there are control players around the hoop that we're competing against. And again, that's going to be the preference of the founder if they're ready to sell control or if they think that there's more value to be had if they take a non-control investment and exit later. So that's usually where we're going to come into play. Usually because, you know, we really don't participate in banked processes, so we don't do, you know, intermediary deals unless it's something that happens to have come out after we identify the the company that we're sourcing. So usually uh, there's maybe two to three other, you know, kind of growth equity firms around the hoop, Um, given that we focus more on the lower middle market side, so businesses – you know, we say five to 30 million in revenue, you know, more often, it's kind of the seven and a half to 15. Mm -hmm. Um, That's a much less competitive part of the market. And it's much more, there are a lot more companies that fall into that phase. So it's not a massively competitive dynamic in most instances, but usually there are kind of two to three players, but it's not always a consistent set of players. So very different from sort of the middle market or upper market where it's highly
0: banked, you see kind of the same 20 folks around the table every time. So Integrity is headquartered in Los Angeles, but today we happen to be speaking in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Is Canada a place where you've invested or where you're looking for opportunities? Yeah, great question. So um, we love
1: Canada. We have definitely – we've done some deals in Vancouver. We're actually looking at a company potentially in Toronto right now. Um, so we love, you know, the kind of Canadian market. There's incredible talent here in terms of software, engineering, um, you know, great universities, graduating great talent to go out and form these startups. There's also great large, you know – massive companies that spin out oftentimes earlier startups. So those are the criteria that we really look for um, when we are targeting a particular geographic coverage area. So a lot of cities, including Toronto and Vancouver in particular, where we see a lot of prospects
0: and where we spent some time before. And several panels today at the conference have touched on the sort of home team advantage that Canadian equity firms have in seeing opportunities here outside of an auction process. Is that an obstacle for you coming in as a U.S.-based firm?
1: You know, I think we haven't had it be too material of an issue, but at the same time, we wouldn't always know, right? You know, if sure. we if we have the founder who's not necessarily being responsive, it could be because they just don't want to work with someone from the U.S. or from L.A. Um, or it could just be, you know, they didn't see our email or they're not interested in having a conversation. So we don't always know. Um, I do think that they're, you know – having that strong relationship and trust that comes from familiarity, I think is an advantage in any geographic market, whether it be Canada or anywhere. And that's certainly why we spend a lot of time getting to know, you know, kind of folks and local connectors within geographic markets so that we can be more of a known quantity and more of a trusted partner. Um, And we certainly see that happen, like once we have a portfolio company within a city, whether it's Canada or elsewhere, um, or cities within Canada or elsewhere, once we're there, it definitely helps with kind of the localized credibility. So I definitely think there's merit to the statement it's not necessarily something we've seen as a huge you know hindrance though i think a lot of the ceos are you know very savvy and they want to make sure they're getting the best deal and the right value add and it's about who's the right partner um, which you know local familiarity
0: comes into play but isn't the only variable mm-hmm. well scotty thanks for joining me on the podcast of course thanks for having me up next is my conversation with lisa melchior founder and managing partner of virtu capital lisa thanks for joining me glad to be here Can you describe Virtu and the types of investments that you focus on?
2: Sure. So Virtu is a technology private equity fund that's focused on growth stage private equity. So we would be looking to invest in companies that are scaled, tech companies that are scaled 20 million, generally 20 million and up of revenue or 100 FTEs or greater that have proven business models and are hitting a scale inflection point where they're looking for either Additional capital in the last round of capital to, to propel them to growth, to fund an acquisition, or to support a new market, or looking to recap companies that have had investors in for a long period of time or need to recap, for, for whatever reason, existing investors out, and, and we're willing to look at anything from a significant minority to control.
0: You spoke on a panel earlier today about disruption in the technology sector. Mm -hmm. What are the disruptors that are the most attractive to you as an investor right now?
2: You know, the disruption component of what I do is more so providing a unique solution to uh, technology companies in Canada. More so than the fundamental technology itself. So, you know, the stage companies that that I invest in are generally uh, proven technology. It's not we're not taking technology risk. The business models are proven to a large degree, mm-hmm. and so we're we're not venture investors. We're not looking at um, early stage investing, but we are providing a solution in the ecosystem that doesn't exist. And so, in that respect, it's filling a void, but mm-hmm. disrupting the market a little bit because today, you know, the the private equity industry in Canada is largely uh, comprised of generalist investors. Mm-hmm. We believe strongly that a sector focused strategy and technology in particular is, is what the market needs. And we're going to market with that a value proposition that's really resonating.
0: Mm -hmm. And can you say a little bit more about that? You target Canadian companies. Why focus exclusively on Canada?
2: That is where I think as a local Canadian investor, we can play to win, particularly in an environment where there are more and more opportunities Mm -hmm. and not many local options. So we see over 60 active venture capital firms that largely invest in technology, providing support to a growing and growing number of opportunities uh, with very very few options for those companies in terms of late stage financing and buyout that are resident here in Canada Hmm. we have a ton of particularly great U.S. firms coming up here and financing our best companies and I'm looking to provide a competitive firm but based here and on the margin I think being local matters in Hmm. Canada
0: Why have early-stage technology companies been more successful at attracting funding while late-stage tech businesses seem to have had a harder time? It's a a little bit
2: of the history of the Canadian venture market. We do a
0: really good job
2: up here at creating technology. We have a strong R&D history in our universities and labs. And so we have, I think, more incubators and accelerators per capita than any other country in the world. Hmm. We do a good job at creating technology and product. And we do less of a great job generally at building strong global businesses around those products. And it's really that part of it, uh, that element of building those businesses that is part of the ecosystem that's missing. You know, venture capital support for companies with great product ideas is something that Canada's been good at. And then, you know, almost half, the stats show that almost half of VCs' exits are uh, under 25 million EV. And obviously, at much decline rates as, as the EVs grow, such that VC exits at enterprise values over 500 million represent less than 5% of Canadian out- VC outcomes huh. versus 10% of US VC outcomes. And that again, is a reflection on the fact that we just don't have the capital and ecosystem to scale our Canadian tech companies to the same degree as um, the US market, for instance.
0: You were previously with the Canadian pension fund OMERS in its North America technology group. And when you left to found Virtue, you were quoted as saying that you wanted to work with entrepreneurial teams and technology companies seeking breakout growth. Yes. Can you talk about what's involved with working with entrepreneurs in the tech space to get their companies to the next stage and what some of the challenges they face that an equity partner like Virtue can help them with? Yeah, I love this question.
2: When I was in my prior role at OMERS, I was investing in very large companies, very large tech companies. And so I have a good understanding of what and how large tech companies operate. But my passion is in working with smaller companies and getting them there. And the getting them there is the fun part, (laughs) and uh, and it's why I do what I do. There's no formula for it, but I'd say that tech companies are generally very people-intensive. And so if you looked at the average software company, 70% of its OPEX is people. And people and and talent is usually the pace limiter to growth. So I spend a lot of time with scaling tech companies on talent, you know, having the right talent in the right seats that bring the capabilities required to take the company to the next level. Equally, I have a pretty strong global network of advisors and experts that can come and Facilitate, help companies with whatever particular um, challenge or opportunity they're working on. I have a strong operating advisor bench of of operating experts that also help uh, the companies that I invest in. And you know, there's there's actually quite a long list of things that are value additive efforts that we bring to our companies. Mm-hmm. So those those are the most significant ones, but there's everything from better managing your client service org to setting KPIs to pricing analytics. The list
0: goes on and on, frankly, Mm -hmm. of things that we help our companies with as they scale and grow. Mm -hmm. So you founded Virtu in 2017, and it's now been in the market for about two and a half years. Mm -hmm. What's up next for the firm? It's been an exciting journey
2: since I launched two and a half years ago. I feel as confident as I've ever been about the market opportunity here. And so we continue to invest and look at new investments in the marketplace. We have a team of six now, and we're looking to continue to expand and grow.
0: Well, it sounds like you have an exciting year coming up. I'm looking forward to following it. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.